In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years now since I spent most of a summer in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I was part of a team from my seminary that were there with a couple of our professors to teach at a Bible college. I was really thankful for the experience of those professors, each of whom had been missionaries in Ethiopia for 15 to 19 years each. As we lived in and traveled throughout the city, one of our professors, who's a dear friend of mine, pointed out to us that each of the butcher shops in town was clearly demarcated with either a cross or with a crescent moon, indicating that the butcher was either a Christian or a Muslim. We were surprised to learn that there's a cultural belief among many Ethiopians that if a Christian were to buy and eat meat from a Muslim butcher, he would convert his whole family to Islam, or vice versa, an Islamic family eating meat from a Christian butcher would convert their family to the Christian faith. To my American mind and those with whom I traveled, this was a little far-fetched and hard for us to believe. And yet, at the encouragement of our professors, we needed to try to understand and respect a culture that had a different perspective and understanding than ours, and to act in such a way that we didn't cause any kind of scandal among the Christians among whom we were ministering. That experience illuminated our text from the epistle this morning, for me. Until that time, I hadn't given this text much thought. I didn't think it had much, if any, relevance for us. But as I then began to look at it more closely, I discovered, and we can discover together, that Paul is merely using that example of meat being sacrificed to idols to communicate a much deeper truth about our lived experiences together as disciples of Christ. As Paul begins this section of his letter, he is answering yet another one of the questions that the church at Corinth had asked him, particularly whether or not it was okay to eat meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. Paul could have taken an easy route here. He could have simply referred back to the Jerusalem council about which you and I can read in Acts chapter 15, which forbade the Gentiles from practicing and eating meat sacrificed to idols. End of story. Yet, Paul doesn't go that route. He takes occasion to teach the more important lesson. He begins his response by contrasting knowledge versus the kind of love that sacrifices itself for others, translated here for us this morning as charity. While knowledge is a good thing in and of itself, Paul reminds us that acquiring knowledge often puffs us up. It leads to an inflated sense of self. St. Augustine notes that, quote, knowledge only does good in company with love, otherwise it merely puffs up a man with pride. Sacrificial concern for others, however, as we hear from Paul, seeks to edify and build up 
and thus it strengthens the whole community. This contrast that Paul introduces between self-serving knowledge and self-sacrificing love is the lens by which we must understand this passage. To summarize the issue, some people in the church rightly believed that there is no such thing as a god or an idol compared to our God, God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. These people were eating meals in the pagan temples with meat that had been sacrificed to that lower G God. Other people in the church and in the community who had a long personal history and a much longer cultural history of believing that these idols and gods maintained some sense of power were offended and their consciences challenged. Paul alludes that some even appear to have been lured back into the pagan beliefs and practices of the day and were at risk of having their relationship with Christ be destroyed or to not ever get off the ground in the first place. This is a challenging scenario for you and I to imagine. But let's change the analogy just a little. You and I all know people whose lives have been destroyed and whose Christian faith has been shattered through the pursuit of money, sex, drugs, alcohol, or something else that had become an idol to them. Theologian and a Duke professor, Richard Hayes, who also happens to be a graduate of Cassidy, brings the issue closer to home for us with one example in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. He says, in the name of freedom and individual rights, Christians enmesh themselves in economic practices that draw their loyalty from Christ and divide the community of faith by disregarding the poor. What are the cultural practices of which we need to be aware that we technically have the freedom to participate in? They're not wrong in and of themselves, but by which we might be causing a scandal to a person that holds a different understanding than we do. We might be led to that practice in a way that is unhealthy and unhelpful and draws them away from Christ. Causing such a scandal to that person is a sin not only against them, but against Christ who died for them, Paul says. Pursuing that type of living, even if it's not intentional, is a dangerous and damaging path for the church. Hayes later suggests in another work that the alternative is a way of life that surrenders personal freedom and prerogatives for the spiritual welfare of others. Such concern for the spiritual well-being of others in the church is a hallmark of authentic discipleship. Paul regularly uses an analogy that we are all members and part of one body. The hand does not live without the foot. The heart does not beat without the spleen. Indeed, we are all connected intimately one to another through Jesus Christ. What happens in one part of the body affects it all. And thus Paul uses the occasion of eating meat, sacrificed to idols, to remind us that every action in one part of the body has an impact on every other part and that we must be aware. Beyond that analogy, the New Testament 
is replete with examples and commands which emphasize that our faith is a shared communal faith. While our faith is surely deeply personal and it has an aspect of privacy that is between us and God alone, it is essential that we live and experience our faith as part of the broader Christian community. Throughout the New Testament, we hear repeated commands that we are to love one another, to honor one another, to build up and encourage one another, to admonish one another, to care for one another, to forgive one another, to not judge one another, to be patient with one another, to pray for one another, and even to confess our sins to one another. There are 47 verses in the New Testament that use the phrase one another in correlation with a command regarding how we are to behave. Thus, as disciples of Jesus, we must commit to be intentionally in community and conversation with one another in order to be fully Christian. Our discipleship must allow our personal faith to impact every part of our lives and how we relate to each other which means furthermore that we must talk about our faith with one another, how it impacts our lives and the lives of those around us. And yes, we may even need to sacrifice some sense of our personal freedom or prerogative in order to build up the church, to make it as a whole stronger. Showing God's love for our community in these ways, by having an authentic, loving, gracious community, commends God and the Christian faith to us and to the world. May God give us that grace, the wisdom, and the understanding to be able to love one another more completely in these ways, as a community of faith. And in doing so, we fulfill his command that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.